0: Hello, this is Daniela Gaidano from Meltina, Italy. And I'm getting more and more questions about strings lately, especially about gut strings and the history of gut strings. So I thought I could share this week uh, the video conference that I gave uh, uh, two years ago for the group uh, Women in Luther. Before that, let me just show uh, some up- updates from our workshop. So I'm working on the top of the number one. Come and see how gorgeous is this top. And uh, I'm about to outline it. And uh, yesterday I glued the the back of the number two. And uh, here we have our dogs relaxing. And give me the phone. And here we have Alessandro, who is working on the top of the big cello. It's quite a cloudy day today. It's raining a bit, which is a good thing. And so, bye from Meltina. And I have an update on the updates. I got something very special in the mail today. Here we are. These are very special handmade hand forged nails that Adelaide's smell is making for me and I will use them to fix the neck of my instruments and Adelaide is uh, in the Netherlands and she's making for me these nays which are copies of uh, something found uh, in an old uh, instrument from the 17th century so these are copies from 17th century nays beautiful And now, enjoy this talk about the development of gas strings between 1848 and 1951. Hi, I'm Daniela Gaidano from Italy, and this talk was recorded because I have a slow connection and I didn't want to risk technical problems. So you cannot interrupt me for questions, but I'll be happy to take your questions just later. I'll be with you. First of all, my deepest gratitude uh, to be part of this women in luthery community and my deepest thanks to the team of women in luthery for inviting me for this talk. So let me introduce myself. I was a string maker for 15 years. I was the co-owner of Aquila Cordharmonica string factories mm-hmm. making gas strings for historical instruments. This happened just by chance uh, because I was curious, because I was a professional viola player, and I was curious to learn more about the tool that I was using. This of course gave me a great opportunity to participate to many researches, both in museums and directly in the field. So my sources are not written treatises, well also, but mainly people. People whom I met and uh, I interviewed in 2007. These three men uh, uh, were owners of string factories and uh, these others, these ladies and these men were workers in string factories. They worked in the 40s, 50s and 60s and they shared with me their, their process and their working day. For example, they even if Many of them, they went to school only for a couple of years in their childhood, so they can barely write and read. They could explain me with great precision the treatises of the 18th centuries and the tools that are shown there. For example, you see these ladies here, and you see this simple tool made with a cane that the man did for me and explained me how to use it. Same thing here, These kind of uh, um, tables with these things, were in use in France at the beginning of the 20th century and in New York in the middle of the 20th century. So the big take of these interviews was the fact that the way of working of making gut strings in Italy in the sixties have been the same way throughout the centuries, since the 17th century. Here is a wheel to twist the string with a frame. And we have the same in several treatises from the 18th century and in pictures from 1940s US. And again, they had them at home in Sale, in 2007. So what we'll be talking about? I'll first go through Italian production and environment between 19th and 20th century. Then we will have an overview of the European production and development of gut strings in the same period. And finally, what this meant for violinists in their everyday life. Will I speak only about violin? Violin, only violin. No, not really. The thing is that the viola shared two of the string, three actually of the strings of the violin because the second and the third of the violin are the first and the second of the viola and the fourth is the third of the viola. At the same way, the cello shares the third of the violin and second of the viola is right at the same string. And the second of the cello could be the fourth pure, pure gut of the violin and the third in pure gut of the viola. So when I'm speaking of violin, I'm actually speaking of all of these instruments. I will not speak of double bass because double bass has a completely different way of making strings, which affected their cost and their history. And so this would be a great topic for another talk, hope in the future. I can speak also of guitar because as we can see from this catalog from the late 19th century, the strings for guitar made of three, four, five, six strands are the same strings of the violin, just double length. So let's dive deep in our presentation. We start with Italy, 1848. How were the strings in 1848? They were not different from any Baroque strings. Actually, they were the same from the early 18th century. Three strings in pure gas and one string, the G, over spoon covered with metal wire, which normally was silver or copper or silvered copper. This gut was high twisted, flexible, soft, fat. They were quite big, vibratile. You can see the twisting here exactly how we see in the paintings from 18th century. This is Vascanis, 17th century, sorry. This is Vascanis, And you see the strings that are stored in bundles coming out of the pack, uh, of bag box. And this is something you can do only with these kind of strings, high twisted and flexible. The professional string was Italian, first of all. String makers, 98% of Italian streammakers came from Sale, which is a small village in Abruzzi, center of Italy. And during the season, which is spring and summer, they went to Rome and Naples to directly work in place lamb gut, Because during spring and summertime, uh, Italian people used to eat a lot of lamb. So they were working the lamp of the god right in the place because it was too delicate to be shipped in the mountains. This is a view of Rome where they worked all together in the same quarter, and uh, it was uh, besides of the river because they needed the river to throw away the waste material, which was quite smelly during the. Autumn and winter, they returned back to the mountains. The ladies, the women were remaining in the mountains to take care of their animals and the land and uh, to make gut strings with sheep gut. Oh, the family, everybody was working in the string making company. So what happened in 1848? We had a civil war. We had 30 years of war for the Italian union. And uh, these people suffered uh, poverty, hunger, new laws, new people. And so they, they all engaged in becoming brigands, even the women. So this was not a suitable environment to, to work, to make strings. They couldn't travel anymore. And this is how they actually lost their uh, hegemony, their monopoly, in the professional European strings, musical strings market. This is uh, a canyon that is just outside Saleh, and it divides the village from the rest of the world, practically, because uh, to, to go to, to the opposite village that we see in the other image, they had really to go down to the river and climb up. This gives us an idea of how isolated they, they were, they, they found themselves. In 1905, there is a nice uh, account by Luigi Forino, a journalist. In his book, uh, he describes uh, their way of work, their manufacturing. He still considers the Italian string the only high quality professional string in the world. But what also happened in 1905? Many, many earthquakes. From the end of 19th century up to 1932, uh, they had many earthquakes destroying the village. This is what remains of the village today. So most of them had no choice but emigrating. They emigrated in the US. This is uh, Daniel Mari, founder of uh, Murray String Company in New York. And these pictures are from his company in Long Island in the, in the 40s. You, you can see the same tools, that uh, the same tables that we saw at the beginning with old children working at them, and then young women working at the winding machines. They emigrated to US. They first thought about trading the strings uh, made uh, by their relatives remaining in the country, but then with the the wars, they lost contacts. So they had to found their companies there and uh, the string makers made in Italy didn't have contacts to sell abroad. We had the First World War with interruption of contacts and also a great demand of surgical thread. Now, the surgical thread is made with gut, with the same gut, but with a different technology. It has to be more stiff, more rigid, and uh, less twisted, more polished. So this also changed the musical stream because musical stream became just a side product. The big business was surgical floss. We are in the 20s, and in the 20s, in Italy, we had fascism. This meant that music was transferred, dance was forbidden, and uh, sports were encouraged, because sportsmen makes for better soldiers than, uh, than dancers, of course. And uh, we still have the consequences of this today, because uh, those were the years in which we lost all our tradition of amateur music, so in Italy, you are a professional or you simply find another job. We don't have amateur musicians and uh, we have less than 20 professional orchestras. And we didn't have any government trying to recover our music and dance tradition. So going on, sports, sports were, was really encouraged. And in those years, it became very popular The tennis. Tennis uh, uses gut strings and uh, the gut string uh, is uh, of the same quality of the surgical thread. So another motivation to to stop making musical strings and make surgery and tennis because it was a wide market, very profitable and easier because uh, no problems of resonance or of even strings or or keeping contacts with, uh, with musicians. And then, of course, we had the Second World War, so all the problems of the war, again. Let's see what was happening in Europe. This is Musellaro. this is uh, the same village that we saw in the previous image, close to Sale. And you see the castle there is called the castle of Savarez-Sava. Exactly from here, the people from Savarez Uh, They left this village in uh, 1770 under Napoleon to found the Savarets company in France. This is not an image of the Savarets company, but it gives the idea of the different environment in which this string maker worked. Savarets company always made string with uh, Italian uh, quality, Italian technology, and always a high level of string. But they didn't really... Developed them, so this is why I will speak more about Germany. Uh, they they always followed the market, ma- making very good quality strings. Of course, in the whole Europe, there were local manufacturers, but making we could say sort of amateur strings. I mean, average quality, not uh, not really the top quality that professional player would use. Giorgio Pirazzi uh, was an Italian streammaker that uh, founded a factory in Offenbach, Germany. In 1875, uh, he had a fire destroying his company. So he partnered with his uh, childhood uh, friend, Theodor Strobel. So Pirastro comes from Pirazzi and Strobel. And uh, Theodor Strobel convinced him to introduce new machineries. One of these was the polishing machine. This one is a trolley polishing machine. There is this trolley there with some sandpaper in it, and the trolley goes up and down. The strings uh, are twisting, and so uh, the, the sandpaper is uh, polishing the string. To, to use this machine, you need strings that are long, stiff, not very high, twisted. And this is what happens. The string above is unpolished string, and the string below is polished. You can see that the fibers are broken. So the string is not only weak, but it also is very sensible to humidity changes. So later to this string was applied some varnish, some glue and some varnish to keep it more stable and more strong. And this is the kind of strings that comes out. It's a stiff string, nothing to do with what we saw before, And uh, if you apply it, it almost breaks, which is not good. It is very polished, very bright, but very stiff. This string uh, is suitable for surgery. It is suitable for tennis also. It's perfect for tennis. And how did they introduce it to the musical market? Well. They made a marketing miracle. Simply, they invented the problem the problem of the pure fifth, the perfect fifth string. So, what was it? You place your finger on the fifth and you find a perfect interval without having to move the finger. And uh, they said that you could obtain this easily with their strings, which were stiff and uh, polished. But in the treatises before, this problem, this issue was never mentioned. So this was really a problem invented at the end of the 19th century, so to sell uh, these uh, strings, uh, which were single packaged in precise gauges for the first time. Strings before were sold uh, in bundles and named uh, on the The number of strands that were used to make them. Luigi Forino comes in mind again because uh, he writes that uh, between Italian artists, there are some that prefer foreigner string, but they are so ingenious not to understand that those strings uh, are Italian strings just in uh, foreigner packages. Instead, foreigner musicians use exclusively Italian strings. German strings uh, have the good side of resistance, and like all the products of that nation, they also have that of the good price. They are very polished, stiff, and they seem made of steel. And even the sound is affected by this stiffness. But as we saw, in Italy, they had so many problems that they couldn't supply anymore all Europe with their strings. In 18th century, Roman string makers were able to accept orders of 400,000 strings for the court of Spain, for example. While in these years, they cannot even provide strings sufficient to the Italian market. So this is an image of a proud quality, of a proud German quality, compared to the Italian quality that we saw before. This kind of strings was also weaker, so more subject to break-ins, and this was exasperating professional players. So in the same years, we start to have steel strings Steel strings were possible also because the metal uh, research and manufacturing was uh, pushed by the preparing of the war, imminent First World War. And anyway, we have this first steel ease just before the war. Because of the metal research being so supported by the aviation industry and the preparation of the war, they finally had an affordable aluminium. Aluminium before was a very precious, expensive metal because they didn't have a way to obtain it in an economic way. So it was not available to make string. Aluminium is the metal that we need to have a covered D because uh, a D covered with silver requires a too thin core and a too thin silver. It just breaks. So what they need was, aluminum, a a very light metal so that they could have a wire thick enough to be worked. So they could have this in the 20s, just after the war. So what did this meant in Valinist's everyday life? We know this from Carl Flesch. Carl Flesch published his method, The Art of Violin Playing in 1923 in Berlin. And at page 11, you have a precise description of the strings. On the following page, he says that the strings are changing so much in the kind that it cannot really uh, say something definitive. He says that uh, in these uh, latest years, professional players um, used the, the cover D. It is undeniable that these strings, it's better than the usual gut strings because it's louder and it's easy to get uh, to get it in vibration, but it doesn't have uh, a nice timbre, a nice sound. And then the passage between A and D, it's really sharp. It's not pleasant. And he also says that uh, the quality of the sound of the A string, if you have uh, a steel E and uh, a cover D, it's compromised probably, because uh, of all this metal on the violin. So it seems to suggest the kind of uh, setup that Heifetz used for all of his career up to 1962, which is uh, a steel E, a copper G, and the A and the D on pure gut. Going on with Karl Flesh, he describes the advantages of the steel E. It doesn't suffer for humidity the timber is uh, more mellow, it doesn't break, it keeps tuning. And it is very, very cheap. The cost uh, is uh, one sixth if compared with a gut string. And a professional violinist normally in one year uses 120, 150 E of gut, which is something like a couple per week against 50 or 60 steel E's, which is one per week. So a good quality steel E could last up to one week, but it costed one-sixth. So it was a a huge economical advantage. Mm -hmm. Then he also mentions the disadvantages of the E strings. Between these, uh, it's uh, less brilliant. It doesn't allow us to have a... Huge variety of dynamics, no pianissimos and no fortissimo. So let me end my presentation telling you a story the story of Roberto Salerni, who was a string maker in Sale between the two wars, one of the very few to maintain his contacts with the musicians of his age. He was very active, he was also one of the founders of the Valin Makers Italian Association. So we see here his catalog from 1931 and he's offering a violin set made only of three gut strings and only the G covered, exactly the same strings that we saw at the beginning of my presentation, so the baroque strings we say. We can compare this with a price list from Pirastro 1929, in which the main set is still three guts and one covered, but only in one set D covered in aluminum. Just as a side note here, we also see that we have a double base set with three pure guts and only the fourth wound. Roberto Salerni in 1950 went to Rome uh, for the foundation of the violin-making association, and he spoke to a violinist about the possibility of, uh, of covering the A of the violin, so to have a wall set of overspoon string. And this violinist uh, said, yes, I approve the making of a covered A in gas and aluminium. So he sent some samples, but this violinist uh, said that the D and the G were very good but the A was unusable. And Roberto Salerni, I have found his uh, correspondence in the home of his daughter, says that he's sorry, but he couldn't find uh, a suitable aluminum to cover the A. So he was searching and searching this aluminum everywhere. And actually he's also searching for a flat wire and ribbon of aluminum, because the aluminum needed for the A, is a 0.08 which is very, very thin and very weak. It's almost impossible to work it on an overspinning machine. So he was trying to find a a flat ribbon, thinking that it would have been more strong, but uh, he didn't have the technology to overspoon with a flat ribbon, a string. Uh, Think of uh, when you try to put a tape around something uh, around like a stick or a pencil, you always get some uh, wrinkles somewhere. So same thing. This uh, technology of uh, of spinning a string with flat wire was used by first by Thomastik and then by Pirastro in the 30s, not before. Look at the date here, 24th of April, 1951 from Pietro Sgarabotto, the violin maker. He says, uh, I'm really looking forward to receive from you an Overspoon A because Pirastro did it. So you have to do it as well. So we will have a complete covered setup. As you know, I already prepared the field and there is a lot of expectation for it. Roberto Salerni answers that he was able to send a sample of the strings. But we see that just uh, a few months later, he has to deny a same uh, inquiry by Giuseppe Ornati because he cannot find uh, the suitable aluminum wire to make it. And at the end, in October of 1951, he received this letter from Scarabotto to which his answers concerning the A, we didn't interested in it anymore. And even because we couldn't find the good aluminum wire thin enough, the Italian factories do not make it. So we can assume from this letter, not only that in Italy, they didn't have the metal factories to have the wires to overspoon the string, but also that the Pirastro Covered A made in April, 1951, not before, was not really welcomed from the professional market. Anyway, the wound A arrived only in 1951, not before. So just a few words about synthetic strings. About guitar, synthetic strings were introduced just after Second World War because monofilaments were suitable to substitute the pure guts, which are not on the bowed instruments, and at the same way, the multi-filaments can be used as a core for the three basses, but they need special technology to be used for both instruments. So the first synthetic strings for both instruments is the dominant from Thomastik 1979. So which is the one takeaway that you can have from this run over these two centuries? That this is not a Baroque violin. First because of the kind of strings in the positions. It has two guts and two cover strings. This kind of set was not available until 1920, never in the Baroque era. And it was not used by professionals because they preferred to have a steel E and maintain a pure gut D. Second, because of the quality of the gut we saw that this kind of gut, you see how stiff it is, that part coming out of the knot. This kind of gut is similar to the surgical floss. It's not gut made for music. The baroque strings must be more twisted, more vibrated, more elastic, and more fat. And last but not least, because these Eudoxa strings are made with Flat wire, which was a technology introduced in the 40s, not before. Baroque strings are always wound with round wire, which gives you a similar sensation under the bow when compared with the pure gut strings. So, a bit of a bibliography there are many works that you can find online by Patrizio Barbieri, they are available on uh, academia.edu. And they are very detailed, interesting, a source of enthusiasm and uh, motivation for me. Then Luigi Forino in Vioncello, This is widespread in Italy. I'm not sure if there is a, a translation available. The Art of Violin by Car which is something that I believe all the violinists have in their home. This is a very simple bibliography, but very easy to find. Then if you want to read something more, there is my small book that is available also on Amazon, Tables on the Evolution of Strings in the Valiant Family, which is available also in Japanese. And then there is a bigger one, uh, which is the precise account of all the interviews, but it's in Italian, sorry. On my website, uh, you can find many video tutorials, and of course, the way to get in touch with me and ask questions. I'm at the end, but before leaving time to your questions, just two very fast tips that i they are very basic, but I've seen many luthiers and players getting them wrong. So please stay with me just a moment. First, how to correctly use a micrometer. This is a micrometer. We need this one, not the one that we use in luthery, because we need to measure cents of millimeters. It's, Normally comes with this little tool, and this tool, uh, it, with this tool, you can move here so that you have the zero in the correct position for you. So that when you do this, there is a friction, and you arrive to zero. It's very important that you move that you move it only from here and not from here, because from here the friction doesn't work, and you will not measure the right thing. So that's it. Just taking your strings, putting it in the middle, and from here, measuring it. That's it. The other thing is the Mersenne's test, the so-called Mersenne test that we find in many, many old treatises from the 17th century. So take a string between the thumb and the first finger, then, yeah, then pluck it. And watch the fuse. Can you see the fuse? It has to be even, no things like that inside, no things open in this way, just a fuse. For example, this, sorry, this part of strings that is already being used here, you can see, and not so good views. Try to do it as much as you can and to close your eyes. You see, you feel not only the sound, but the vibration into your hand here. This is like when you, when you feel uh, you, you tap the tone wood to feel the, if it can vibrate. It's like when you feel the vibration on the top of a cello. It's the same thing. With this, you can actually feel the sound of the string, if it will be good or not, just in your hand. This is very important. This tells you if you have a good quality string or not. So thanks, thanks for your attention. Thanks for staying with me. And finally, here is the moment for your questions.